Is uh, the Advent time of year one of your favorite times of year, Christmas, for, for any of you? Is that true of anybody in here? No one likes this time of year better than any other time? Okay. We've, if I was going to say, if we didn't get at least four or five hands raised, we can just, you know, hit the gavel and call this meeting to a close. But it seems like there's a few of you who enjoy this time of year. Uh, I know that I do. I enjoy the lights, the smells that you may not get at any other time of the year. This year we went out and cut a, a real Christmas tree and put some of the boughs around our house and it just fills the house with amazing, wonderful smells that we don't get any other time of year. Um, if you're into Christmas nostalgia, you may be thinking of roasting chestnuts up on an open fire and having Jack Frost nip at your nose and all those things at this time of year. Uh, but for the Christian, it's even much better than that, isn't it, this time of year? Uh, it's the celebration of God becoming man. We've been singing about it now for a few weeks. We even sang about it this morning. But even as Christians, I think we need to be careful that we're not sucked into the nostalgia of Christmas, even a Christian Christmas. Things like baby Jesus and old little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the lie, silent night, away in the manger, all wonderful songs, but may not communicate the truth and power of why Jesus came. We sang of that truth and power this morning on why Jesus came. We sang this in Hark the Herald, Angels sing, Hail the heavenly Prince of Peace, that would be Christ, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and life to all He brings, Risen with healing in His wings, Mild He lays His glory by, He left heaven, He left His glory, He laid it by, Born that man no more may die, That's why He was born, So that you and I don't have to face spiritual eternal death. He did that by living the perfect life, dying the sinner's death, which he didn't deserve, and rising again from the dead so that we might know forgiveness of sin and our Creator personally. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give second birth. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And yet even as Christians, sometimes I think that uh, we get drawn away by sentimentality of Christmas yore and all the things that we enjoy and we should enjoy, but without losing focus on the point of Christmas and the reason that God became man to come and be born into a manger and all those things that come to our minds when we think of celebrating the arrival of Christ, our Savior. But First John uh, chapter 3, verse 8 clarifies, if we may be confused, it clarifies why Jesus came. The reason the Son of God appeared, why God became man, was to de destroy the works of the devil. This is why he came. God is actually at war with the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And this war has been raging since before time began and eternity passed. Of course, we know that the outcome of the war has never been in doubt. But the decisive victory was one when God crushed Satan on Calvary when Jesus died and rose again. This is why he came. This war has been won. But as you know and I know, there are continuing small skirmishes with the enemy, and those skirmishes include you and me, right? Uh, you've been in a few skirmishes, haven't you? A few scrapes with the enemy. Uh, we all have. And I think 
it's good to know and, and, and consider again at this time of year the whole reason why Christ came. If you think about the whole picture of the plan of redemption beginning from before time when, when this war broke out between good and evil, between God and, and Satan, we must understand that God allows sin to exist in order to reveal something about himself that brings ultimate glory to God that would not have been brought about had not sin existed. God allows sin into your experience, into mine, into world history for the purpose of exalting his grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. This is why we have to deal with this. We, in fact, could say accurately that we are pawns, if it, as it were, in a cosmic war between God and Satan, good and evil, to demonstrate the power and love and grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has designed us as human beings to willingly and joyfully worship him as a result of seeing his worth and goodness towards us. So you want a reason to worship and praise God? He woos us to himself by offering forgiveness of sin and restoring the joy of relationship with our creator. He literally saves us from sin and strengthens us on a daily basis in the struggle against sin so that we would be holy people and happy people. This is what God is doing in our struggle with sin. So how is your battle with sin going? To start the sermon off, if your battle with sin brings glory to God and brings joy to your, your Christian experience, are you battling sin? If God's intention is to bring glory to himself through your struggle with sin and bring joy to you through your struggle with sin, are you struggling with sin? Are you actually fighting the battle? Or have you given up? Or are you one of those who really don't see the battle raging? Ignoring the problem rarely is a good strategy for dealing with it. The number of Christians who don't seem to be all that concerned with sin actually shocks me as a pastor. Oh, they understand that they are sinners and, and that sin exists, but there seems to be very little concern over the danger that sin presents and, and the joy that can be had by fighting sin. There certainly is no urgency to deal with it, it seems. But friends, we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle, a real battle, a raging battle not only for the souls of men who don't know Christ, but for our own holiness, we're in a battle. For our own joy, we're in a battle. Are you fighting that battle? Paul knew there was a great battle to be, to be uh, fought. 2 Corinthians 10.4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare, that is spiritual warfare, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We're in a battle but we've been given divine power. We've been given divine weaponry to fight this battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, in that great passage on spiritual warfare, the apostle Paul said that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but of the spirit. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual enemy. So, listen, uh, our enemy is not the opposite political party. Our enemy is not those who break the law or those who live godless lives all around us. They are not the enemy. The enemy resides in you and me. The enemy is the sin within. This is, the, this is the thing which we are battling. The enemy within each of us. 
The Apostle Peter said it like this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the, the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. You know what wars against your soul? It's not the Democrats. It's your own passions, your own flesh, the things that your heart desires to do. That's the enemy. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said that this battle is so important that we must put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Not to put to death what's in your neighbor, put to death what's in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Something as mild as coveting, Paul includes in this crazy list. That's the thing that's warring against your soul. John Owen poignantly says this, sin doesn't only abide in us, it's just not this thing that's passively lingering, it is actively laboring to bring about the deeds of the flesh. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone, but as sin never is, is never less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our strategies against it to be vigorous at all times, in all conditions, even when there is least suspicion. Christian friend, those of you who aren't too certain, too convinced that the spiritual battle is raging in your life, and you have very little to be suspicious about in your walk with Christ, pay attention to John Owen's words. If you think that things are going great and you're not having any difficulties in your Christian walk, think again. When the waters are still is when they're the deepest. When things are most quiet is when they're really not. We need to pay attention on all occasions to the battle that's raging all around us and within us. Again, Paul in Romans was so concerned with this matter, he said this in chapter 8, for if you live according to the flesh, if, if you allow the, the passions of the flesh to rule your life, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If these verses don't motivate you, the ones I've just mentioned, to pursue holiness and to pay closer attention to the battle that is raging within and without, then I don't know what else to share with you. These verses make it abundantly clear that we are in a battle, and it's a serious one. According to these verses, these, these verses make it evident that sin is a matter of life and death. If we live, it is because sin has died in us. On the other hand, if we die, it will be because we have allowed sin to live. The Apostle Paul isn't talking about physical death, obviously. He's talking about something much more significant. He's talking about eternal life versus eternal death. Our battle with sin is the issue here. Our, our eternity, friends, your battle with sin, hang, your eternity, hangs in the balance of this battle. How are you going to move forward in this battle of sin? There is nothing more important to us. So many Christians yet have a laissez-faire attitude about it. They don't experience anything, you know, particularly important about this battle. They, 
They seem to walk through life as if nothing has phased them. They don't struggle with personal sin. They, they, they seem to be just doing fine. And you ask them, and their answer is the same every time. I'm doing great. How are you? Not so good, maybe, should be your answer. Are you doing battle with sin? It's like, or it's, it's if, as if we have many Christians who are sitting in their spiritual cockpit of life, dozing off while the, the spiritual f- lights are flashing on their spiritual dashboard and the mechanical voice is screaming at them, pull up, pull up, pull up. And they're going, ah, too tired. I, I'm, I'm, everything's fine. No. Friends, we're in a war. And my goal this morning is to alert you to the clear and present danger of this battle and show you divine tactics to successfully wage war for your holiness and joy. Friends, we fight this battle so that we'll be holy people pleasing to God and by, by virtue of that pursuit become happy as God has designed us to be. Does it seem like your battle with sin is heading in the right direction or the wrong direction? Do you recognize that there's a battle with sin? Do you experience more defeat or more victory? Can you honestly say that you are seeing good progress in your battle with sin? Friends, this must be a daily concern to each of us. Unfortunately, we have to face this battle. One day we won't, right? Isn't that going to be a great day when this battle will be over? And we can rest in the presence of Christ and one another for eternity. That will be a great day. But until that day, there's this nasty battle we enter every single day. There's no getting around it. We all have a nature that tends more towards sin than obedience. Every last one of us has this struggle, whether or not we acknowledge it. And if you don't acknowledge it, it means you've lost or are losing But we all have this struggle. Even the Apostle Paul mentions this struggle in his own life in Romans chapter 7. The whole chapter, he talks about this struggle with sin. We are studying Psalm 119. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Psalm 119. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. In the first stanza, the first of 22 stanzas, called the Aleph stanza, we saw that finding happiness depends on obedience to God's word. Starting in verse 9 is the second stanza, the bet or bait stanza. And we saw there that growing in holiness depends on seeking God. Both of these stanzas have an underlying concern with sin and dealing with it. In the first stanza, the Aleph stanza, verses 1 through 8, the encouragement is to obedience, which of course requires a battle against sin. Uh, True happiness remains elusive to anyone who won't consistently battle sin in their life. In the second second stanza, verses 9 through 16, the encouragement is to holiness. You see that in the first verse, but how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man be holy? How can anybody be holy? Requires battling sin. In fact, I could summarize these two stanzas verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 16, by saying this, without a conscious and intentional effort to fight sin in your life, there will be no growth in holiness and no happiness. I'll say that again to summarize the first two stanzas. Without 
a conscious and intentional effort to fight sin in your life, there will be no growth in holiness or happiness. Do you want to become more holy? That's the desire, at least the stated desire of every Christian. I want to be more like Christ. Do you want to be happy? That's the stated desire of every human being. So if you're a Christian, you want to be happy and holy. The only way to do that, according to these two stanzas, is to consciously and intentionally fight sin in your life. The contention of this psalmist is that the only way to find happiness in your life and to gain holiness in your life is to obediently pursue God with your whole heart, you recall last Sunday, with your whole heart. And in order to accomplish this wholehearted pursuit of God, we must fight sin. The author of this Psalm 119 has put together 22 eight-verse stanzas that all point to the importance of the Word of God in your battle with sin. This is the theme of Psalm 119. Applying the word of God to your own battle with sin. So let's read, if you will, the second stanza, at least the first four verses of the second stanza, verses 9 through 12. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Our focus is going to be on verse 11 this morning. And I want to show you from these verses here God's tactical strategy for spiritual warfare. Our first point is God's tactical strategy. You know that God actually has a plan to conform you to the image of Christ? He has a strategy from getting to where you were before you knew him to getting you ready to see him face to face to conforming you to his image. This is what Romans 8.29 says. That God has planned that each and every Christian will become like Jesus. And so God has developed a strategy found within his word, highlighted here in Psalm 119, how he's going to get us from pre-Christ darkened people to in Christ enlightened people, walking faithfully with Jesus. There is a process to becoming like Jesus. And God uses our battle with sin, believe it or not, to bring this about. Did you know that your struggle with sin is actually a tool in God's hands to be, make you more like Christ? When you do battle with sin, God's actually conforming you to his image. So becoming holy like Jesus requires us to fight the battle of sin. It requires to see sin decrease and holiness increase. So look at verse 11 more closely, if you would, one more time. What's happening here? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin Against you. This is one of the most popular verses in the book of Psalms, maybe all of Scripture. You memorized this if you were into memorizing verses when you were a child, didn't you? If, it was probably King James. I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you or thee. Here we see the same thing here. This is a very popular verse for a good reason. Because it gives some brilliant tactical weaponry to every Christian who is engaged in the battle. The psalmist says that he is storing up the word of God in his heart for a very special purpose. Now, do you feel spiritually weak and vulnerable to all the different attacks that come your direction? Do you, do you seem to experience spiritual defeat too often, maybe, in your Christian life? Can I encourage you to listen extra closely this morning? Because these words are from God's Holy Spirit for you. 
In Psalm 119, we've seen that there's about eight or nine titles used that are all synonymous for Scripture. We see the words just in this second stanza, commandments, statutes, testimonies, precepts, ways, and word. All titles for the Word of God. All used to describe something a little bit different about God's word that's important for us to understand. Your word that we see in verse 11 is just another word for God's word, for the Bible, for scripture. So what is the writer in verse 11 doing with God's word? It says he's storing it up. He's storing it up in his heart. And this is the concept that I want to unpack for you or or flesh out a little bit today for you. What does it mean to store up the word of God in your heart? you would rightly, quickly respond by saying, well, it means to memorize God's word. That's right, that's correct, but I think I want you to see there's something more to it than that. There's something more than just memorizing a sequence of words so that you can repeat them to yourself or win a memory contest. Uh, One way that we know that this actually is in the mind of the writer is that he says he's storing up the word of God in his heart, not in his brain, not in his mind but in his heart. That's where it's stored. He says he stores the word in his heart because he wants us to understand there's more to it than just memorizing a sequence of words. This tells us something about what the psalmist wants us to think. He wants us to think about when we store God's word into our heart, we are actually depositing the word of God into the core of our very being. It's being stored in the heart because it's more than just the ability to recall words. It's it's storing the word of God in the heart. It goes way beyond memorizing it. It's agreeing with it. It's understanding it. It's digesting it. It's living it out. This is what it means to store the word of God in your heart, to take it in so that it has a comprehensive and penetrating effect on my life. That's what it means to store up the word of God. It's not enough just to memorize a sequence of words. It must have much more effect than that on me. I could memorize all of Scripture and have no effect on me. It means that you know what the Bible says. It means that you understand what the Bible says. It means that you believe what the Bible says and that you apply what the Bible says. That's what it means to store up God's Word in your heart. It means that it actually shapes you. It guides you. You live by it. So let's look at God's strategy or tactical strategy for your battle with sin. First thing, we've said it already ten times. Store up God's word. Store up God's word. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to have quick access to God's word in our battle with sin? Here's a few ideas. It guards against sinful thoughts and temptations. When we have quick access to the Word of God, it guards our hearts against sinful thoughts and temptations. So if I were to bring up here a bag of 100 marbles, and 90 of those marbles were blue, and 10 of those marbles were green, and I reached into this bag and pulled out a marble, what is the most likely color that I would pull from that bag? A blue marble. Why? Because there's 9 out of 10 of them in there that are blue. And so I'll most likely pull out a blue marble. It's the same with your mind. 
When you encounter difficulty, when you encounter a trial or a temptation, and your mind is full of the Word of God, and you access what is in your mind, what is your mind going to bring forth? Divine truth. That will help you in that moment of weakness, that, that battle that you are fighting in that moment. So we need to be sure that the Word of God fills our mind. Secondly, the Word of God, we need to store it up in our, in our mind or in our heart because it counsels us when we're alone. And we're alone a lot, even though we spend a lot of time with friends and family, we're still alone quite a bit. Wouldn't it be nice to have a skillful, skillful biblical counselor at your beck and call whenever you want? So you can say, what should I do here? What should I do there? Tell me and I'll do it. No, we don't have that, that benefit usually. Psalm 16:7 says this though, it tells us that our heart instructs us while we lay on our beds to go to sleep. Our hearts instruct us while we are getting ready to sleep. Do you ever notice that, that you need the most counsel right when you're going to sleep or when you wake up at two in the morning? That's when you need the most counsel. Uh, most pastors won't answer their phone at two in the morning. And most spouses won't listen to a bunch of gibberish at two in the morning. Where are you going to go in those moments of actual need when the battle's raging at 2 a.m.? Friends, this tells us that your heart will counsel you. The question is, what's in your heart? What is your heart full of? Is it full of the word or is it full of the world? Is it full of peace or is it full of fear? It counsels us when we're alone. Next, it populates our prayers. You ever get kind of frustrated? You kind of run out of things to say in prayer, um, either in private or in, in public prayer. And you get to where you're just saying, bless them, bless them, bless them, and that's the end of your prayer. You ever notice that the Word of God can actually give you fodder for prayer? You can actually use, there's actual prayers in Scripture that you can use. By the way, the book of Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. It is full of prayers. The Apostle Paul fills his epistles with prayers. These, the knowledge of the Word of God, when it penetrates your heart, populates your prayers. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take up the sword of the Spirit. Talking about spiritual warfare, take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The very next phrase, pray without ceasing. Pray at all times in the Spirit. You know what helps you pray at all times? The Word of God in your heart. Next, it brings general help in all of life. Do you need general help? You ever call someone and say, hey, I need general help? You may not, but we always need general help, don't we? In different circumstances that we face. Look what it says about general help in Proverbs 6. Bind them, speaking of God's word, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you wake up, they will walk with you. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> General help. You and I need this in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual battle. We need general help. This is what hiding the word in our heart means. It also brings relief and hardship. And I think most of us are familiar with hardship in one way or another, one form or another. But there is no hardship that doesn't have an antidote in Scripture. Not one. 
Any hardship you may encounter, God's word speaks to. Is it a relational one? Are you struggling with your spouse or one of your children? Are you struggling at work with your boss or a coworker? Are you struggling financially or any way? Guess what? The word of God has an answer for every single one of those hardships. Do you know where to go to find those answers? Do you have the word of God, God sufficiently enough in your heart that actually gives answer, brings hope in those times of difficulty? This is what the word of God provides. Also, it helps us be better at encouraging others. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You know why you can teach and admonish others in all wisdom? Because the word of God dwells in you richly. And if the word of God does not dwell in you richly, I just soon not hear your advice. Or vice versa. You really don't need man-made wisdom in times of crisis, do you? That's the last thing we need. That's what got us into this mess to start with. I listen to you. No, what we need from one another is people who are saturated with the word of God and it is dwelling in them richly. So when they speak, I'm hearing God speak. That's what we need. That's what I need. So the first piece of strategic weaponry that we're offered here by the Holy Spirit for our spiritual battle is to store up the Word of God in you. Next, I want to show you God's deposit. What is this? Well, I'm going to springboard from verse 11, and this is a very springy board, all the way to Hebrews chapter 10, 8, verse 10. Listen. And see if you remember this conversation from when we were studying Hebrews. I want you to consider what God is doing for each and every believer when you listen to these verses, which is uh, a reference to the new covenant in the Old Testament. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You know what happens when you come to Christ? You know what happens when you confess your sins and embrace Jesus? The Holy Spirit has done divine surgery on your heart and inscribed his word, the word of Christ, on your new heart. God deposits the word of Christ in each and every believer. So what is taking place is that God is showing his power, the power of his grace and mercy in our lives by depositing the mind of Christ, which includes the word of Christ, into the heart of each of us. And that mind of Christ is exercised when we strengthen it with the reading of his word in combination with that which was inscribed on your soul and with that gives you victory in the Christian life, gives you joy. God deposits that there, waiting for you to put the word of Christ with it. God puts his, inscribes his word so that you will add to it his written word. So, and this word agrees with the work of God in writing his word on our hearts at conversion. His spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. God's deposit. 
So store up the word of God, join it with God's deposit, and then thirdly, use God's energy. God's spirit must quicken and animate God's word in us. You know that, right? You've heard that many times here. Without the Holy Spirit taking the word of God and operating its meaning, or opening its meaning rather to each of us, we will never fully comprehend um, what God is teaching in his word. The Holy Spirit not only quickens the word in us, but he also uses that word that we take in to transform us. We need God's energy through the Spirit. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 11, back to Psalm 119, verse 11. Do you notice that verses 10 and 12 sandwich verse 11? And what's said in verses 10 and 12 actually is a very clear utterance of dependence on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. A plea that he'll walk circumspectly. Look at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. A plea that God would teach him through the word. We need God's energy. We need God's Holy Spirit. I regularly pray that God would open my eyes that I would see and understand the word of God. In fact, I pray that almost every single day. I pray that he would use the word of God to make me more like Jesus almost every single day. So we need to apply these truths, friends. If we're going to win this spiritual battle that we find raging within and without, if we're going to become happy and holy people, we need to take in the word of God. It, it should, these, these thoughts should encourage us to gain a deeper understanding of his word. And I hope that's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in your mind so that you will be a holy one who is seeking after God with his whole heart, who is finding God because you're seeking him with your whole heart. If you're going to seek God with your whole heart, you must store up his word therein. And this goes beyond just memorizing a sequence of words. It means to study, to understand its meaning. It means to embrace its meaning with your whole being and, and have your daily life directed by the word of Christ. God uses his word to accomplish these things in you. He uses his word to bring about holiness. He uses his word to bring out happiness. So what can you do to accomplish this in your life? How can you apply this strategy? So let's look, look at gaining a tactical advantage, which is our second point. And I just want to say that we each have, during this, well, I can't say each of us, many of us during this time of year, think about what we want to do better next year. You're one of those people, you, think, you might call them resolutions. You might say, well, next year I'm going to exercise three times a week. Next year I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Next year I'm going to read one book a month. We have all these resolutions that we, we do to making ourselves better people, right? Well, I want you to think about potentially adding a couple more to that list, all right? In, and I want to encourage you not to wait till 2018. Start today. So the first is this. I want you to, to add to your list of ways to improve yourself to love the Word. Love the Word. Love the Word of God. We read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul said, They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. He connects loving the truth with salvation. Do you love God's word? 
You have plenty of reasons to love it, but do you? Is the word of God true, for example? If it is, do you love it? How do you treat other things in your life that you love? If you love golf, for example, what do you do? Well, you get yourself a subscription to the Golf Digest. You go out there and you shine your clubs weekly. You maybe go to the driving range twice a week. You might even get your, find yourself on the golf course once a week if you truly love golf. And you might even join a golf club and sit down and talk with people about hitting a white ball if you truly love golf. Whatever it is that you might love, what do you do with that? You emphasize it. You prioritize it. You work at it. You know, you shore it up. Do you love the Word of God? Is there any reason you might say yes to that question? If so, how is your life demonstrating your love for the Word of God? Are you in any kind of Bible club? Are you reading it often? Do you have a subscription to the Word of God? Maybe it's an internet subscription that sends you Scripture daily? Is there anything that you're doing to demonstrate your love for God's Word? Jesus said this about demonstrating love in Matthew 13. On finding one pearl of great value, he went away and sold all that he had and bought it. He sold everything he had so that he could buy that one pearl because he viewed that pearl of great value. Is the word of God a great value to you? Do you love it? What are you doing about it? So, love the word. If you love the word, something will be done about it. Secondly, and this of course builds off the first point, build your knowledge of God's word. Build your knowledge of God's word. Proverbs 10:14 says, "The wise lay up knowledge." Are you wise? If so, you'll be building up knowledge. And if you're a wise Christian, you'll be building up your knowledge of God's word. And by the way, building up knowledge of God's word isn't something that happens by osmosis. Don't you wish it did? You can just go to sleep with this book underneath your pillow and lo and behold, you wake up a scholar if you sleep long enough. Ah, wouldn't that be nice? But unfortunately, that's not the case. Last week, I spoke about how each of us has a spiritual reservoir. Building up your knowledge of God's word means you're filling that reservoir regularly. Always has to be input. Always has to be filling it with God's word, the truth of God. Are you doing that? If you look back a year ago, have you seen today a higher level in your spiritual reservoir of God's word? Do you understand it more? Have you thought of it more? Do you love it more? We must strive to deepen our knowledge of God's word. I love this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing thought? You and I have everything we need for life and godliness, and there's nothing missing. Everything you need for life and godliness. And then he goes on in the next phrase, he says what? Through a knowledge of him. 
How do you have everything you need for life and godliness? Through a knowledge of God, that's how. You, what you need for life is found in his word. What you need for godliness is found in his word. If you don't have a knowledge of his word, you aren't going to have everything you need for life and godliness. Through a knowledge of him is where you get that stuff. You must build your knowledge of God's word. So how are you going to build your knowledge of God's word? Uh, this isn't complex. This isn't rocket science. It's, it's simple. By reading, by hearing, by meditating. Again, you're going to hear these things repeatedly until we get through this great psalm. But this is it. By reading, by hearing, by meditating, by studying the word. If you love it, you'll read it. If you love it, you'll hear it. If you love it, you'll meditate and study it. So let's look at reading the word. What does this mean? Well, it's really simple. You know, most of you know how to read. Um, we had some young boys up here this morning going through this uh, Advent reading. They actually can read at a very young age. And this is what I'm talking about. Picking up the Bible, opening it, and reading it. Some of us are more challenged, and so we need a Bible app that will actually read it for us. Those are available, and that counts, if you're wondering. Getting the Word of God read to you is valuable. The point is getting the knowledge of God filling your reservoir. Turn this Bible app that reads to you while you're driving. Read the scriptures or have your family sit down and listen to this Bible app daily. Email or text the Word of God to one another in your family or small group or co-workers. Read the Word of God. Next, hear the Word of God. Paul told the Roman church in chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Hearing the Word of Christ. So, how do we do this? How do we hear the Word besides it being read to us? Well, Paul had in mind the idea of being preached to. You should be being preached to regularly, which is why you're here weekly. By the way, this is an ordained means of taking the Word of God into your life because of the effect that actual preaching has on people. And I'm not talking necessarily, I'll get to this in a moment, but I'm not talking about listening to a sermon on the internet. I'm talking about sitting in a room just like this, having the Word preached at you, has an effect, an ordained effect by God Himself. And here's why. It's different than reading a book. Sitting here being preached, that's different than reading a book. When you get bored reading a book, you just close it. When you get bored of listening to a sermon online, you just shut it off. When you get bored here, you either close your eyes and go to sleep, or you stay here and put up with it. This is the point. You can't just close the book in this room. You may walk out of the room, and we've had people do that, but most likely you're going to sit here and you're going to put up with this for 30 or 40 minutes. And that's the benefit of preaching. You have to hear the argument from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit is doing his work while you're sitting there, even trying to not pay attention. God's at work in this time of your life every single week, which is why you need to be here. But there's also the amazing blessing of having so many good preachers available to us with the click of a mouse. You can go on the internet and listen to great and godly preachers exposit, explain, teach you the Word of God. You should be listening to Piper 
online. You should be listening to Sproul and MacArthur online. These men, these preachers, will lead you to green pastures and still water, friends. Listen. Listen to the word preached. And it will have an effect by God's design on your life and give you strength for the spiritual battle. This is a strategy that God has for your spiritual development. Avail yourself to it. Listen while you drive. Listen while you work out. Some of you can listen on the job. Listen to past Sun Valley Church sermons. Go there, listen to Romans again. Go there, listen to Hebrews. Go there, listen to Genesis. God will work through that. You say, well, I've already listened to that. How many reruns of Seinfeld have you seen? There's my point. So I'm going to give you a few ideas about listening to the sermon on Sunday morning in this room. I want to encourage you, if you're going to be a good listener of the word, to prepare for Sunday morning. Prepare your heart to be here on Sunday morning to hear the word preached. Pray Saturday night before you get into bed that God will speak to you here on Sunday morning. Which leads me to the next point. Get in bed on Saturday night, not on Sunday morning. So I would encourage you to get in bed so that you're alert here on Sunday morning. You shouldn't find yourself dozing off in the sermon, even though it is like, feels like it's 90 degrees in here to me right now. I'm hoping it's not to you, but I can understand how, how it gets warm and how you may doze off. But do you doze off in your favorite football game? Do you doze off on anything else that you're interested in? Yeah, my daughter's getting married. <laughs> no, you don't do that, no matter how warm it is. My daughter got married in the middle of August this past year, and it was blazing hot. I managed to stay awake. Miracle of all miracles. So prepare your heart Saturday night. Get in bed on time. Pray. Prepare yourself. On Sunday morning, bring in Bring and open your Bible. Open that baby. Uh, bring and use a pen. Highlight questions. Write in your Bible. Your Bible should be all marked up. Even with this expensive rice paper. Mark that thing up. Um, and then when you come Sunday, come expectantly. Do you expect God to speak to you when you come? <laughs> you know he's here. I mean, up here you know he's here. But do you, do you expect him to do something in your heart on Sunday morning? Pray that he will. Pray that he will. I, I, I pray this all the time. And I, I've got this written right next to Psalm 119, verse 18. I've got it written in way too small a font back when I could read this small of a thing, but... I said this, unless, I'm speaking to God, I'm, this is a prayer to God, unless you do this, I will not see. Verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Unless you do this, God, I will not see and I will not preach well. Write in your book. It's your personal copy. You have permission. Write in it. Come expectantly. And this is my, just a personal request here. And it's today's uh, a great start. 
be sure your phone is off when you come into this room on Sunday morning. I can't take any more Jeremiah was a bullfrog ringtones. I just can't do it. I can't take it. Tim Cavanaugh and I had a plan once because back in our early days, it was a ringathon that we were having during our Sunday morning services. And he was going to have two phones on, and one was going to ring, and I was going to march down to him, pick up a phone that was an old one of these flip phones, and tear that thing in half and throw it on the ground and just walk back up on the stage just to see the reaction of the people. But because we had some people with physically weak hearts, we didn't want to do that. So, but there it is, friends. Don't interrupt this. It's, it's, it's easy to put it on vibrate or off. Uh, think about that. Because it's not just, this, this room is not just, you're not just here by yourself. You're here with a group of people who are seeking God. All right, so let's come prepared to hear God speak. So we, we're reading it, we're hearing the word, and now I just want to close with meditating on it. What does it mean to meditate on the word of God? I've already preached a few sermons on this, uh, but I'll, I'll give you a brief summary here. And by the way, I've placed two of those four sermons that were, uh, I think, uh, most valuable in written form in the lobby. So if you want a copy of those, there's about 20 copies each out there of those sermons on meditation that I did back in the Hebrews 4 era. Um, so access those if you want them, or you can just go online and listen to those online also. But biblical meditation is simply thinking about God, th thinking about his word, thinking about Christ Jesus. All that, all that we sing about on Sunday morning uh, in the form of song is really meditating on the truths of scripture because all the songs we sing are scripture songs. Uh, so that's meditating. Uh, having conversation about the sermon, the points of the sermon, quizzing your children on the way home, quizzing your spouse, thinking about it yourself, is meditating on the word. Psalm 1 verse 2 says that the blessed man is the one who delights in the word day and night. Think about what this passage that you read this morning in your devotional time actually is saying about Jesus. Think about what it's saying about your sin. Think, it's, think about what it's saying about how you ought to treat your family or your spouse or whatever. Process the Word of God. Think about it. Are you doing that? Meditation means that you'll fill your mind with God and His Word and then submit your life to its teachings. Meditation on God's Word means that you direct your thoughts throughout the day Godward. So study, meditate on the Bible. Sometimes it takes a little forethought to do this. You might need a pen in your hand, like I told you, write in your book, in your book, in your copy of your own book. Uh, pray through when you read a, a prayer. And by the way, when you're reading the Psalms, it's all prayers. So pray these things back to God. Um, have maybe a good commentary handy. A lot of good commentaries online for free, um, like Matthew Henry, John Gill, John Calvin. Um, you may need to buy actually a commentary. Uh, John MacArthur actually has a one-volume commentary that's uh, brief, but it's very good. If you buy his full set, you won't be able to enjoy Christmas this year. But um, you, might, you need to get a good commentary. Another thing, to get the Word of God into your heart, to be able to apply it. <clears throat> Think about participating also in our adult Sunday school program. And while you're there, bring your children and get them exposed to the Word of God in the Sunday seminar for children. Participate. 
have the Word of God be filling this spiritual reservoir in your life. That unless it, unless it, it conscientiously and intentionally happens, remains dry. So let's, let's pursue God together, friends. Let's not think we can continue through the Christian life uh, being a Lone Ranger Christian, which never works out, uh, being a Mr. Magoo Christian who doesn't really think there's any serious things happening in your Christian walk. Uh, but, you know, as a church, as long as you come here, we're going to encourage you to do these things. Um, we're going to encourage you to be in the Word. We're going to continue to encourage you to be in prayer. We're going to continue to encourage you to be in small groups, to be in Sunday school, to be where the Word is, because the Word of God is our only hope. That's it. If this morning has sound a, a bit obtuse to you, or maybe foreign to you, to put it another way, uh, it, it may be because the Holy Spirit of God has never inscribed His words on your heart. It may be because you don't know Christ. If this has been a sermon that has caused you to nod off and maybe not care, is it possible that there is no spark of spiritual life in your soul? It is possible. And I only say that to announce to you this great news that God can change all that right where you sit right now. He can, he can wave the spiritual miracle of Christ over you and forgive your sins if you will just come to him humbly, acknowledging your need for him, acknowledging your desire to live with and for him, he will come and he will do what he's promised. He has never turned anybody away if you'll just come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sin and rose again so that you too could walk in newness of life. Don't let this pass by today. Simply humbly come into the presence of Almighty God who loves sinners and plead these truths that he has promised. And remember, next week is Christmas Sunday. Christmas Sunday. Uh, I'm not able to say that in this service, but last service I said, you know, if every person in this room invited somebody, we'd still have room. I can't say this for this group because if we did that, we'd have a problem. We'd have to use the overflow room, which would be okay with us, wouldn't it? That would be all right. Or we could do like Spurgeon used to do. All you people who have been, been here before, please leave. <laughs> if you haven't been here before, stay. The rest of you get out of here. Now, Spurgeon actually did that on occasion because people were waiting outside that never could get in. But wouldn't it be great to fill every single seat in every single pew and row in this church next Sunday? It is Christmas Sunday, and people respond well to Christmas Sunday invitations. You ought to try it. Why don't you invite one person? We have invite cards out there in the lobby. Give it to one person and pray and ask God to do something and see if he does it. Just one. If you have two friends, you can invite both of them. <laughs> this coming Sunday, friends, I'm going to teach the next verse. And it's going to be actually, believe it or not, a Christmas Sunday sermon from Psalm 119. And in that, of course, 
you will hear the gospel and so will your friends. Lord willing, I will be here to preach that sermon. Um, so bring them, invite them. Actually, well, actually, you just invite them. Let the Holy Spirit bring them. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We want more of it. We want more of you. Please do this for us. Please impact our soul, our very lives with your word. Because it's in your word where you live. It's in your word where we find you and all that you have to offer us. God, do this. This is a request for a miracle for each of us. Cause the word of Christ to dwell in us richly so that we, in fact, will walk faithfully with our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can do battle with sin, so that we can see victory and we can see joy and holiness growing in each of us. God, do this for us, your people. And we praise the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.